absolutely love hanging out with you guys. And I, hey, I want to welcome those that are joining us online as well. And we have got a couple things going on uh, here through the next few weeks that I want to make sure that you're aware of. Um, and you, you know what's going on. So you, as you saw in, in the announcement videos, we're going to be hosting the XO Simulcast Marriage Conference here at 201. And man, it's going to be a blast. And now, it is called a marriage conference, and obviously, married couples who want to improve your relationship with each other, you need to register. But, but I want to encourage those of you that are engaged, or maybe you're in a serious relationship, and you're moving towards marriage. Uh, I want you to get this jump start on your marriage. So join us uh, for that conference. Here, here's the schedule uh, for this simulcast. Now, we realize that some of you may not be able to get off, uh, off work and uh, you, or make, have to make arrangements for your kids to get off school. But I, keep, I want you to keep in mind that you don't have to come to each and every session. So just jump in and get as many as you can. I'm, I know I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So, all right, all right, all right. You guys ready to jump into the third message of this series entitled, What If Jesus Is Right? Now, the reason why we've given... The series, that title, is because we can be guilty of trusting Jesus with our eternal salvation. So we want to get into heaven. But we struggle to trust Jesus with our day-to-day life. So the question we're asking is, if Jesus is right about eternity, is he right about today? So, so here we are. It's the third week of 2021, and not much is different as far as the circumstances around us. It could be even argued that it may be worse. But, but I, I'm still getting inundated with emails and advertisements and commercials about a new year become a new you. You know, the weight loss commercials, <laughs> they're on my feed. Uh, and after watching the documentary, The Social Dilemma, which describes the algorithms that they know me better than I know myself, I'm not real happy to be seeing those ads. Now, all these commercials and motivational videos that are are getting pumped into us are an attempt to connect with our inner desire to be more, to become more. Desire is a great motivator. It's the engine of our lives. It's It's the function that propels us out of bed and into the world to make a difference. The issue with desire is that it can become an eternal monster that cannot be sufficed. When desire takes control of our lives and drives us, that is when our lives get in trouble. Desire is one of those things that that never, never gets satisfied. There's an Ecclesiastic proverb uh, from the 1000 BC that says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. The more modern philosophers, Mick Jagger, he said it this way, I can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) Thomas Aquinas asked the question, what would it take to satisfy our desire? What would it take to feel satisfied? And he came to this conclusion, everything. We would have to experience everything and everybody and be experienced by everything and everybody to feel satisfied, to feel complete, to feel full. We'd have to eat at every restaurant, travel to every country, see every, experience every excursion, go to every city, travel to every natural wonder, win every award, climb to the top of the ladder of every uh, political place and social ladder just to feel fulfilled. We would have to possess everything, every item in the world, everything. The point is that desire is infinite. And, and it's not wrong 
it's, it's placed within us by our creator. Remember last week, we, create, we, we talked about that we're created to be in relationship with one another, we're to be in communion with God. Now, God is an infinite being that, can't, that we cannot grasp or, with, uh, with our finite minds. So we have an infinite desire that cannot be filled by finite things. But boy, do we try to do so. And all that ends up in our lives is restlessness, emptiness. We live with a chronically unsatisfied desire. So what do we do about this desire that is placed within us, but becomes the monster that consumes us? We have to choose to put desire in its proper place. In his book, Life Without Lack, Dallas Willard wrote, Desire is infinite, part, is infinite partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, made to run to God. We can satisfy, be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. Bottom line. There's absolutely nothing in this life outside of God that will satisfy our desires. Unfortunately, internally and externally, we're encouraged to continue the pursuit after our desires. It doesn't matter how much we attain, how hard we work, neither, and which neither of those are wrong. When we attempt to fill an infinite gap with finite things, the result is always restlessness that grows into angst, anxiety, disillusionment, so we end up trying harder, working more, consuming more. It is a life cycle of hurry, FOMO, busyness, overload, which in turn makes us even more restless. Add to this our society that is currently run and funded by digital marketing. Advertising is literally an attempt to monetize on our, our, our restlessness, encourage us to bow down to the twin gods of accumulation and accomplishment. Did you know that we see between 3,000 and 4,000 ads each day? All telling us to buy this, do this, eat this, drink this, have this, watch this, be this. And if you do all those, then you'll find contentment, fulfillment, completeness. And now we have influencers that make a killing showing us the, the, the things that we need, the, the way they live life. And we, we, we end up sitting there, voluntarily scrolling through these lives that produce in us envy and greed. We envy their lives that appear to be so fulfilled, and greed fills our soul. That greed robs us of our gratitude, joy, and contentment, and it replaces it with relentless restlessness and discontentment. Since you're here listening to this message, you must be wondering, well, is Jesus right about something, about the way we live our lives? Did he teach a design of life that would alleviate this restlessness? And you already know the answer to this. Yes, or I wouldn't be talking about it, would I? So grab your notes, open up your Bible, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might experience it. God has rest available for us. It's a promise. The removal of restlessness is indeed accessible to us, but it's not automatic. 
He goes on. He says, for this good news, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been, been ready since he made the world, we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God said another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest uh, still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, all the people, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So, so let's begin where the author of Hebrews begins. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1 in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. I want to lay some groundwork here. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from darkness, from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, making, marking the first day. There's that, that phrase there, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day, the second day. It's used in each of the first six days. But on the seventh day, something special happens. Jump to the next chapter, which is right here. It says, so, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his, all, all his work of creation. So we just got a now, uh, introduced to a huge theme of the Bible, one that deserves a whole lot more time than we're going to be able to give it this morning. The number seven. It's a big deal in the Bible. In biblical Hebrew, the word seven is connected to the idea of fullness, completeness. We see here that, that God completes his creation, and on the seventh day, he rested. This idea of completeness is exactly what we're trying to achieve in, in our desire to fulfill our desires, <laughs> That's what we long to, to experience, but we often never get there. Instead, we, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos, and we never get to real rest. On the seventh day, God stops and rests. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And if you're reading carefully, you'll notice the phrase, and evening passed and morning came, doesn't appear on day seven. It's a day with no end. See, the author of Genesis wants us to see that the seventh day, uh, on the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. 
Everything is working as it's designed. The land provides for all the creatures, including humanity. There is completeness and fullness as it is designed to be. Adam and Eve have an unfiltered relationship with their creator. They are existing in the seventh day of rest. Can you imagine what it would be like? That is why there is an eternal desire within us for that fulfillment, for that completeness. But we know the story too well, don't we? They are deceived by the serpent, and because of that, they forfeit that rest. They're kicked out of the, out of the garden and cursed to work as slaves to the land. But God wants to restore humanity back to the seventh day of rest and to the full, complete rest that's in him. So how will he do that? Through one man and his family, the family of Israel. But the second book of the Bible, Exodus tells us that they were slaves in Egypt. Slaves don't get rest. They work until they die. So God sends Moses to comfort, confront the Egyptians, and the Israelites are given freedom by God, and Moses leads them from Egypt and into the wilderness, heading towards the promised land, the land where they will find rest. While they're on their way to the promised land, by their own choices, they end up wandering in the wilderness, a place that has no rest, a land that is barren. Life is a struggle every day in the wilderness. But while they're in the wilderness, God invites them to start living as if they're in the land of rest. Deuteronomy 5.13 says, you have, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your, our, your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out, out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day, the seventh day. God is inviting them to practice a few, the future rest while they're still walking in the wilderness. God tells them that, the seventh, that every seventh day, they're to stop their work, or in Hebrew, the, the, to Shabbat, that means to, to stop, or how we say it, Sabbath. And the reason why he tells them this is that they can, so they can rest and enjoy his provision. Not just them, but their servants, their livestock, their foreign, the foreigners that are there. He wants them to remember that they were once slaves and did not experience rest when they were slaves. But they're not to do that to their servants. They're to live as that day as, it is, as if it is the ultimate rest has already come. So every seventh day, they are to live as though they are fulfilled and complete. And how do they do that? By trusting God that he will provide them that day. But God also gives them seven other ways that they are to look forward to the ultimate rest in him. There are seven festivals that were celebrated every year, each one of them anticipating the seventh day of rest. I, I wish I had more to walk through each of these in more detail because, wait, <laughs> there's more. Leviticus chapter 25, God commands them that on the seventh year, the Sabbath year, they, are to, they were to release their servants, forgive debts, and, and not plant anything in their fields, trusting God with that year, that God would provide for them. 
And then on the every seven times seven year, it was the ultimate seventh day rest called the year of Jubilee. And if anyone had lost their land or had gone into debt, all of the debt and the land was restored to them. Seven, seven, seven. It's everywhere. The Sabbath, the feast, the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing towards the hope of a future rest when all is fulfilled and complete. Unfortunately, when the Israelites went into the land that they, uh, that they were promised, they actually turned their backs on the God that's promising them that rest. Instead, they trust in themselves and the gods of the countries around them. As a result, they forfeit their chance to live in rest. They're once again exiled from that promised land and, and made to be slaves again. However, God hasn't given up on his people experiencing his promised rest and fulfillment. And he speaks through the prophets declaring that one day their enslavement will end and that the ultimate freedom of, and the rest will come. Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, someone that is paying real close attention will notice that when Jesus begins his public ministry, it's on, yep, the seventh day. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit power. Now, Jesus has just come out of the wilderness, being tempted by the devil for 40 days, and Luke takes us to his first ministry opportunity. And it says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus reads from Isaiah 4, 16 through 21 and declares that this time has come. This is the year of his favor. What is he talking about? He's talking about the ultimate jubilee. He was claiming that the seventh day rest would come through him. Jesus later on said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. As the one bringing fulfillment and completeness, what did Jesus do? He freed people from their sickness. He released them from evil spirits. And he even released them from death. <laughs> to drive point, the point, home the point even more, Jesus timed his death to take place on a Friday... His body was placed in the tomb and he rested on the Sabbath. And then on the first day of the new week, Jesus resurrected. Jesus brought forth eternal rest, fulfillment, completeness through his death, burial, and resurrection. We can have hope in God's promise for few of a future, uh, future rest. Come on. If there's a spot for a hallelujah, that's it. But we're not there yet. We're still in the wilderness where we experience struggle and pain as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day. Jesus invites us to experience and taste 
a real rest by following him. Or as in his words, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Yes, we will be freed from the cycle of restlessness and eternal life. But Jesus also lived his life in a manner that we can learn from to live in rest in the midst of our wilderness and the chaos we're currently in. If we're going to trust Jesus with our eternity, then we must trust him with our time. Let me say that again. If we're going to trust Jesus with our eternity, then we must trust him with our time. Let me close this message by giving you three ways we can apply his teaching to our lives. The first is that Jesus valued time. Time is a gift given to each one of us, and it is a limited gift. John 9, uh, verse 4, Jesus says, We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about running around like chickens with their heads cut off. But as Paul told the church at Ephesus, we, we need to, to make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Everything Jesus did was with a purpose. Jesus said, when you, when, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am He. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father has taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases Him. The final thing is that Jesus always made time for His purpose. Look, look how He lived out, lived this out in Mark chapter 10. It says they reached Jericho. As Jesus' disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he, he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And suddenly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. I want to challenge you today to trust Jesus with your eternity and with your time. Live as though your time is limited and it should be valued. Be intentional with how you use your time that has been given to you and live it out. Live out your purpose. Those of you that are joining us online, I wanna encourage you to take a few moments to respond to the Holy Spirit in just a few seconds. We would love to come alongside you as you're on this journey with Jesus. Be sure to hit the, uh, the connect, uh, uh, connection card link in the, in the comments there. We want to come alongside you and, and be, a, be involved in this journey that you're taking. In just a few minutes, we're going to give you a close out this service with uh, a few messages, a few, uh, a few announcements, and a blessing.